Hello, hello, and welcome. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday, and I'm so glad you're here with me today. I am talking about two very strange topics today, very foreign to us as believers. Oftentimes, we try to avoid uh, topics like this because um, on the one hand, one of these topics is gross and unbelievable that we have to discuss it now. Um, and the other is the end times. And just there, there's so much division over this topic. And I want to take us out of the division and more into questioning mode, because I believe really the best way to learn about who God is and what the Bible has to say is to be humble and ask good questions. And out of that, we might have some answers we didn't have previously. So I don't want to be divisive about it, but I do want to present uh, some ideas that come out of Matthew 24, which is a situation where the disciples are asking Jesus about the very same questions we have today. When are you going to return? What is it going to look like? So why don't we actually go ahead and get started right here with the end times piece of this podcast first. Um, and we're going to go to Matthew 24 and just try to peel some of the layers back of the language being used here and just try to discuss this from the most logical viewpoint possible. Um, but there's a lot going on here, and I'm not going to claim to be the expert at all of it, but hopefully I'll be able to clue you into some of it, and maybe you can go do some of the study on your own. I still do come across people who have a pre-tribulation rapture uh, belief system. And, you know, I love I love all of you. If you believe that, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no division between us. However, I just don't see the Bible discussing this in any way, shape, or form. And I think that gets revealed here in Matthew 24. I'm going to be reading it from top to bottom. I think I, I will always encourage people uh, I'm very much of the mindset, read entire sections of scripture. Don't just take one verse. It's very easy to take those things out of context. Read them in context. Understand the setting, the situation, and the entirety of the discussion. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the complete Jewish Bible version. So there'll be some words in here that I'll expound upon just for you guys. Um if you need that definition, many of you who've been listening to me for a while won't, but um, I'll do that anyway. So let's start at the top. As Yeshua left the temple and was going away, his Talmudim came, and these are his disciples, his followers, and called his attention to its buildings. But he answered them, you see all these? Yes, I tell you, they will be totally destroyed. Not a single stone will be left standing. So we know that this actually took place, right? In uh, around 70 AD, the temple was completely destroyed and ransacked. And um, and so this came to fruition. This came, this happened. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the Talmudim came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that you are coming and that the Olam Hazet is ending? Okay, so here we have two questions. When is the, you know, when is is this stuff going to happen? And what's going to be the sign that you're coming? Okay, so two different questions. Um, and and let's see what Yeshua answers here. Yeshua replied, watch out. Don't let anyone fool you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. You will hear the noise of wars nearby and the news of wars far off. See to it that you don't become frightened. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. For people will fight each other, nations will fight each other, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various parts of the world. All this is but the beginning of the birth pains. 
At that time, you will be arrested and handed over to be punished and put to death, and all peoples will hate you because of me. At that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other. Many false prophets will appear and fool many people, and many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah. But whoever holds out till the end will be delivered." And this good news about the kingdom will be announced throughout the whole world as a witness to all the goyim. The goyim are the nations. A lot of times we call the nations Gentiles in scripture, but that's not actually a completely accurate term to use. Gentiles is kind of a derogatory term. Goyim was the term for just the nations. It is then that the end will come. Okay, so we have here a bunch of different things taking place. They're going to be captured and arrested, handed over to be punished and put to death. Um, People are going to hate them because of Christ. Lots of people are going to start hating each other. People will fall away from following God's laws. Um, And then, but whoever holds out to the end will, will be delivered. The good news about the kingdom is going to be announced to the whole world as a witness to all the nations. And this has really been taking place, right, over the last few thousands of years. We've had the gospel go out to all of the nations. So all peoples have been able to hear this good news. And then he says, it is then that the end will come. So when you see, so this is verse 15. So when you see the abomination that causes devastation spoken about through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand the illusion. That will be the time for those in Yehuda to escape to the hills, those in Judah. If someone is on the roof, he must not go down to gather his belongings from his house. If someone is in the field, he must not turn back to get his coat. What a terrible time it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that you will not have to escape in winter or on Shabbat or on the Sabbath. For there will be trouble then worse than there has ever been from the beginning of the world until now, and there will be nothing like it again. Okay, so we know that what he's talking about here hasn't actually happened yet because so many of the wars and the devastation, the evils and the tortures and the horrors that we have seen throughout history have happened time and time again. You know, we do know that Antiochus came and he tortured the Jews, absolutely wrecked them for a number of years after Christ. And and out of this, we have the Maccabees and we have many of these really incredible stories of people who stood for their faith. And then finally, the group of people that the Jews that stand up to Antiochus and actually defeat him. Um, And this is how we get Hanukkah. But that sort of evil and torture has actually taken place since then. So we've actually seen a lot of wickedness take place upon the earth, um, but we have not yet hit that final, very difficult time. In verse 22, he says, Indeed, if the length of this time had not been limited, no one would survive. But for the sake of those who have been chosen, its length will be limited. At that time, if someone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe him. For there will appear false messiahs and false prophets performing great miracles amazing things, so as to fool even the chosen, if possible. There, I have told you in advance. So if people say to you, listen, he is out in the desert, don't go. Or look, he is hidden away in a secret room, don't believe it. For when the Son of Man does come, it will be like lightning that flashes out of the east and fills the sky to the western horizon. Wherever there's a dead body, that's where you find the vultures. Okay, I just want to stop here. 
I, I have to, for those who believe that we won't be present for this moment, that somehow we'll be raptured beforehand, then why are we looking for the sign? Why do we need to understand what the right sign is? Why do we need to know that false prophets will tell us, look over here or over there, or he'll be in this country or that country? Why even have the discussion if we're not going to, if the, there won't be end times believers on the earth who are looking for the Messiah to be there? Um, it doesn't make any sense to even have the discussion. You know, if I were Christ, I would say, don't worry about it. Actually, what's going to happen is you're going to be raptured and then I'm going to punish the planet. But that's not what he says. He actually is telling them, listen, here is the sign of my coming. This is what it will be like for you. And the, it's the royal you, right? It's obviously not these disciples who are going to see this final coming coming from the earth. Although, they, they're going to see his coming from, from the heavens, possibly, right? Or from whatever place they are in waiting, possibly. So I think the whole universe will experience this moment because there's a spiritual dimension and a physical dimension of what's going on. But it will be, un, you will not be able to doubt the moment of Christ's return. And that's kind of the point of what he's saying. You know, one of the reasons I want to talk about this a little bit is because I actually want believers to be more prepared. You know, it's why I talk about obedience so much. I want you to be prepared for Christ's coming. I want you to be prepared for that moment. None of us knows how long we have. So it's good to be prepared anyways, because we could be meeting our maker in any at any moment. But for the end times believer, they need to understand some signs, actually. And I'm going to come back to this verse later. But in Amos 3.6, um, it says, When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan. Um, let me see here. I lost it. Without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So there, you know, I think a lot of times we want to have too much mystery around the end times. We want to say it's very vague when Christ is going to come and there's no going to be no sign of his coming and nobody, you know, and I'm not exactly sure that's what scripture is telling us exactly because the prophets have revealed what God will do. Amos tells us that God only does what the prophets have revealed already. We, God gives us forewarning of things and of his works. Okay, so let's continue here. In verse 29, but immediately following the troubles of those times, the sun will grow dark, the moon will stop shining, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with tremendous power and glory. He will send out his angels with a great shofar. The shofar is the trumpet blast. And they will gather together his chosen people from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Okay, so everyone's going to know that this is Yeshua. They're going to see him coming on the clouds with tremendous power and glory. There's going to be a great trumpet blast, which relates to one of the feast days, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but... That trumpet blast, I really believe, relates to, actually, we'll talk about it now. It really relates to what I believe is Yom Teruah. And um, you'll find the feast dates in Leviticus. But Yom Teruah is this trumpet blast. It's um, it's kind of a warning sign that the day of judgment is upon us, right? It's about to happen. And, um, you know, you see the Jericho, the, the city, the walls of Jericho come down with a great trumpet blast. That's a Yom Teruah moment. Um 
And so when Yeshua returns, I believe it will be in the fall during the Yom Teruah time period, because Yeshua is always fulfilling prophecy. And the prophets have given us the layout and the plan. And so it would make a lot of sense because there's this these references to the trumpets being the trumpet blast in the heavens that we've got possibly a Yom Teruah time period happening here. Let's go on to verse 32. Now let the fig tree teach you its lesson. When its branches begin to sprout and leaves appear, you know that summer is approaching. In the same way, when you see all these things, you are to know that the time is near, right at the door. Yes, I tell you that this people will certainly not pass away before all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But when that day and hour will come, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son, only the Father. Okay, so there is some tradition around this particular phrase or some uh, different per- differing perspectives. So a lot of people think when he says, when the day and hour will come, nobody knows, that nobody could even possibly guess even the time period of Christ's coming. Like, no one will know. But what's weird is he literally just said, when the let the fig tree teach you its lesson, when its branches begin to sprout and leaves appear, you know that summer's approaching. So he literally just said, look for the signs because you'll know a time period is approaching. Because he says, in the same way, when you see all these things, you're going to know the time is near. It's right at the door. But then he says, but when that day and hour will come, no one knows. Well, but you just gave us some signs to know. So I'm not sure that's exactly what that phrase means. Some people believe that this phrase is an ancient Hebrew idiom and that it relates to the Yom Teruah feast once again. And the reason why this phrase would relate to that date is because Yom Teruah could only be um, decided upon, the day was decided upon after the crescent moon appeared or the new moon appeared. And there had to be two witnesses to say, yes, the new moon has finally come. So nobody actually knew which day it would be and which exact hour it would take place. They had to wait and watch. And the Bible says only God the Father really knows the day, only knows that that time. No man would know that time. And so Yeshua, through using this phrase, might be actually telling us again, I'm going to come at Yom Teruah, but you're not going to know exactly the day or the time. You're going to have to wait just like you have to wait for Yom Teruah. For the Son of Man's coming will be just as it was, this is verse 37, in the days of Noah. Back then, before the flood, people went on eating and drinking, taking wives and becoming wives, right up till the day Noah entered the ark. And they didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. It will be just like that when the Son of Man comes. Then there will be two men in a field, one will be taken and the other left behind. There will be two women grinding flour at the mill, one will be taken and the other left behind. So stay alert, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But you do know this. Had the owner of the house known when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you too must always be ready, for the Son of Man will come when you are not expecting him. So we have this concept that just like in the days of Noah, people really didn't expect that the world was going to be destroyed by a flood. And you see this, only Noah and his family, right, believed in God in the boat. And so we need to be like Noah. We need to be preparing an ark for these, this time period. Noah didn't get taken off the planet. He had to withstand the storm. He had to stay through the flood and watch everything be destroyed. Um, we need to be just like Noah. And we're going to talk about my second topic today, 
really reminds me of the days of Noah. It is just a sickening topic and one that I think Christians are not prepared to deal with, and we need to be ready now. But the the moment of the coming of Christ will be a surprise to the majority of people. And it's kind of that's kind of a scary thought. So be ready, be prepared, be in obedience, be connected to the Lord. Okay, verse 45. Who is the faithful and sensible servant whose master puts him in charge of the household staff to give them their food at the proper time? It will go well with that servant if he is found doing his job when his master comes. Yes, I tell you that he will put him in charge of all he owns. But if that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is taking his time, and he starts beating up his fellow servants and spends his time eating and drinking with drunkards, then his master will come on a day the servant does not expect at a time he doesn't know. And he will cut him in two and put him with the hypocrites where people will wail and grind their teeth. I don't like this part of this verse. What what disturbs me a little bit about it is both of these people were the Lord's servants. Okay, and one of them just gets impatient and wanders away. And he ends up, this servant ends up, um, it sounds like in hell. I mean, people will wail and grind their teeth. Yikes, I, I don't want to be that servant. So both of these people are servants in the master's house. Okay, I don't know what to make of this particular section. But what I will say is this. Um, God will reward the faithful. And so I would say, no matter what you believe about Christ's return, there is a constant discussion of this rewarding of the faithful. You know, Yeshua says in another section of scripture, um, anyone who teaches, you know, my commands will be greatest in the kingdom. Anyone who teaches against the least of my commands will be least. So at the very least, we have a system where we have a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. And those who are faithful to the Lord and obedient and who teach obedience, they are put in a particular place in God's kingdom. And those who don't might have a lesser position. And listen, I feel like for me in my life, I'm such, I've been such a wreck and had so much wreckage in my own life. I'll be lucky to skate in by the skin of my teeth, honestly. I will gladly, you know, uh, wash toilets in the kingdom of heaven if I can just be there, right? <laughs> But I'm still not going to ignore Christ's request to teach obedience and to make sure that I'm staying faithful as much as possible, right? We do our best. We do our best with the Holy Spirit, but to stay faithful and do not, I think for those who are hoping that they're just going to get raptured beforehand, um, no matter what, it's good to be prepared, isn't it? It's good to be ready for whatever's going to take place. And I really want the believer right now to be ready because I'm not exactly thrilled with the prospects of whatever's coming next globally and in our country. Not particularly an encouraging moment right now. Now, we're living in interesting times, so that's kind of, you know, there's entertainment abounds, but it's not exactly the most hopeful moment, I think, for a lot of people. And um, we're going to dig into this second topic now because... I am seeing it being bandied about all over social media, on Twitter. I don't know why all of a sudden this is coming up, except I have to say that I really honestly believe Satan is making himself more and more known. You know, know your enemy is actually also a biblical principle. He's a roaring lion looking for whoever he can devour. There's biblical text. You know, there, there's this idea in Genesis that the snake, the serpent, is going to feed off the dust of human beings. There is this 
picture there that the ideal for Satan is the death and the destruction of human beings and that actually in that death and destruction, he gains power. That's how he is sustained. That's how his kingdom is sustained through destruction. And I think it's why in satanic rituals and in evil rituals, there is a lot of blood. You know, the Bible says, don't mess with blood. Don't drink it. Don't eat it. Don't like kosher kills, right, are really important. You need to be careful about what you're eating and putting into your body. Why? Why? Well, there's something about this that has a spiritual element. And it lo- it seems like Satan uses this to gain access to people and to empower himself over, o- over different areas and over different, I would say, kingdoms, right? So this is why I believe this very strange topic has come up. And I'm just going to quickly find some of the stories that I've seen of late that are causing me so much... <laughs> I am concerned. I am concerned for the people of God right now because I just feel like they are not, they have not been ready. We're not prepared for the cultural onslaught that's been taking place. And this one, I don't think they're prepared for at all. I know that the answer from most believers will be no, but I don't believe that they know why. And we're going to talk about the why today. Okay. There was a New York Times article. I'm finding it. Hold on. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking, I know who posted it. New York Times. Here's the title. Cannibalism has a time and a place. Uh, a taste for cannibalism. And it says some recent books, films, and shows suggest that the time is now. Can you stomach it? Okay. Ew, gross, nasty, right? Okay. So, um, let's, let's look at some other, here's a one from Rolling Stone. Amy Army Hammer was outed as a cannibal fantasist, Rolling Stone. The makers of that film are releasing a new cannibal love story um, featuring Chalamet, Army's co-star lover. Okay, that's on Deadline.com. Let's see here. What uh, The new free radical dispatch is available now. It's called Why Is Corporate Media Now Normalizing Cannibalism? And I'll be interested in reading that one, but... Um, there are all of a sudden people following this story. Okay, so the deadline article is uh, anticipate, anticipated cannibal love story, Bones and All, which has just been confirmed for a Venice film festival competition. Why? Why? And you know, this happened, this has happened with previous cultural issues where out of nowhere, this new issue appears and it's suddenly everywhere. It's in films, it's on the news, it's on, I mean, and, and you're starting to see this kind of cultural conditioning to all sorts of evils. Guys, we have reached a pinnacle. We really have at this point. And so people are, here's, here's a national review article. Looks like Richard Dawkins wants to eat human meat. Okay. Guys, this is so gross, but we have to talk about this because you have to understand the why. Why is this so evil? Why is this wrong? Why is this forbidden? And I'm going to tell you, it's in a place where a lot of Christians fear to tread, okay? But I talk to Christians about this particular place all the time. I never thought that I would have to use this as the battering ram against the idea of eating people, but here we are. Guys, you need to go study the food laws. Okay, in Leviticus, there's a lot of places where cannibalism is seen as a curse in scripture, right? There's a lot of places where, um, you know, this kind of, uh, 
You're not supposed to eat someone that's a, or something even any an animal that's alive. You're not to take anything living. And obviously thou shalt not murder. So you can't kill someone to eat them. But what about if they're already dead, guys? Okay. Where does God prohibit you from eating people? Where's the law? Because this is a disgusting, awful, horrible act, right? It's so satanic. So surely there has to be a law against it in scripture. Where do you find this? Okay. Well, you're going to find it in the food laws in Leviticus where it tells you, here are the things that are food for you. There's a positive and a negative aspect. Here are things, you know, basically these are the list of things that are food for you, which means everything that's not on that list that is alive, animal-wise, is not food, okay? Now, the list includes... um, It's interesting. There's positive and negative in the food laws. So when it comes to land animals, land animals that are food for you, okay, land creatures that are food for you are um, creatures that have a split hoof and chew the cud. Okay, so we've got cows in there. We've got deer in there. We've got sheep in there. We've got goats in there. I believe we've got... um, elk you know we've we've got a lot of the things people normally eat when it comes to the birds of the air there's a list of birds you are not to eat okay and a lot of them i notice are either predatory birds or songbirds um you're not supposed to eat uh emu or ostrich um some of the birds we're not sure what they are so but here in america we keep it pretty simple we eat chicken and pheasants and goose and ducks and you know all things that would be allowed in the food laws, okay? And from the ocean, what you are allowed to eat according to God's food laws, you are allowed to eat animals from the ocean that have both scales and fins. There are two witnesses to them being clean, scales and fins. The land animals, there are two witnesses to them being clean. They have a split hoof, they chew the cud. Why the two witnesses? Well, in the Bible, it says for anything to be established, there has to be two witnesses. And so with the land animals and ocean animals, God has given you two witnesses to their cleanliness. That, And by clean, I mean God has defined them as food for human beings. Humans aren't mentioned. And I think the reason is because obviously they're excluded. They are not food. You are The, it, the, the food laws tell you what is food. Humans are not food. It's not there. Now, yes, there are ancient rabbis who quibble over this idea. There are, um, you know, scholars who will tell you otherwise. But when I read my scripture and I get to the food laws, you know that humans are excluded because God doesn't consider them food for people. So um, and really, God doesn't consider them food for anything right? There's this dignity and you're supposed to bury a human being according to kind of ancient rabbinical tradition, even like when someone dies, they're supposed to have a burial. They're supposed to be honored. There is, and I talk about this in the book, there's so much miraculous in the human body. When God says he made us in his image, there are pieces and parts of actual scripture that are put into things like our hands and our DNA and our heart and our cells and how it all works together in functions. It's all in scripture. We are literal images of God and his things. We're not food. And I truly believe that the Christian is not ready for this battle because they don't have the why lined up yet. So get your why lined up. Draw a line in the sand. We have to draw it somewhere. Humans have dignity. We're made in God's image. We are not food. And the only place in the Bible where cannibalism is occurring 
it are places where it's a curse. It has happened because of devastation that has come upon the people of God or come upon a people because of their evil and their wickedness. It is always, always negative. But you can find the actual legal principle in God's law. And we need to know that because we need, can you guys, honestly, can you believe how wicked our culture is becoming? And I just have to tell you the kingdom, the dark kingdom that is over this world that is going to be destroyed in the end, right? God has full authority. We have full confidence. We know that Satan and his minions, where they're going, nobody wants to go. They're going to be bound in, in hell forever. That is their future. That is not our future. However, I can understand why people would be and will be discouraged by what they see coming. But I think if you know your why, you will know exactly what to do when the time comes. Be careful with what you put in your body in these this day and age. Be careful because there's a lot out there that will defile you and will defile your cells and will defile your DNA and will defile who you are. Be careful. And the reason that you know your why for this is right there in Leviticus, guys. It's right there. Your why. You know what is food for your body and you know what is not. Anyone that comes along with some product, and this is this is also about to happen, I believe, they're going to say they can basically make you into a god. They can make you perfect. They can make you young and beautiful. Be very wary of the ingredients. Be very wary of what they're using. There are also a lot of articles out there right now about people using blood, using younger people's blood, younger things' blood in order to gain this youth and this vitality. This is wickedness. It's from the pit of hell. In the law of God, you are forbidden to do this. It's forbidden. Again, another reason that the believer needs to know God's law. And there are lots of reasons for this. Number one, you can actually replace your DNA with somebody else's DNA and become basically a totally different person, not the person that God created you to be. But I also believe that this opens the door into evil activity, into your mind, body, spirit, and into your life. And so we, we need to stop opening the door for Satan in our lives and in our churches. We need to start closing the door and stop defiling our bodies with anything that God has said is not food. And guys, I can't believe I have to say this. That includes people. Gosh, we need to be in prayer for our nation, for our country, for the people of this country and of the world to stand up to these crazies who are obviously worshiping a different God than we worship. I'm sad that this had to be the topic today, but I felt called to share it um, and for you guys to be wary and aware and to begin your own discussions about how to understand God's laws better so that you can navigate wicked times. Um, and if you need support or prayer, please reach out. We should be doing this as a community. I am only doing this not because I'm comfortable with it. Honestly, this is a very uncomfortable topic. I'm doing this because I love you and people need to be ready. Um, and I feel called to be one of those people to help others start thinking differently about the times we're in and how scripture applies to the times we're in. All right. I'm Rachel. I'm so glad you were here with me today. I hope you all um, actually leave with hope. Don't leave discouraged. Remember, God's got you. And you are listening to this for a reason because God has made you and appointed you to be a, a word of hope to others and a warning to others and a help for your friends and your family and preparation for your friends and your family so that, guys, we can be a community of believers who succeed and who will survive till the end. 
And maybe our children or our children's children, maybe one group that we have helped prepare is going to see the coming of the Lord. I love you all. Uh, Till next time.